Jesus' name. Everyone said? Hallelujah. Come on, give the Lord a hand. I'm going to give the worship team a hand for just being sensitive to the presence of God. Come on. Come on. Give them a hand. Yes. Hallelujah. As you're uh, being dismissed, the children's church being dismissed. Remind you that um, Friday night at 6 p.m. we'll be here. Um, if you've never been to uh, one of our Christmas Eve services, it's a, it's a beautiful moment to finalize our journey on Advent, and uh, we hope that you'll plan to give us an hour and, and come and uh, continue your worship and continue your uh, final moment to the Christ candle and when the light is passed out and singing many of the hymns that we have sung for the last four weeks, but in order of the story. And uh, the neat thing is, is if, if you pay attention to all of those Christmas hymns, uh, they're written in the order of the story. Uh, and, and the journey is incredible, and our team always does a great job as we work through that. So I hope you'll plan to be here. Amen. Um, it's such a great, great night. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 2. As we bring... Um, our Sunday morning portion of our journey of Advent to close with the cast of Christmas. And today I want to talk about the Magi. No, Eddie, not those in colon. <laughs> and I want to read briefly the story in the scripture. Matthew chapter 2. Verse 1, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Now, it's, it's an interesting question. If you'll pause for a moment, slow down to read your Bible a little bit, something should pop in your head and mind. Why would pagans... Be interested in the birth of any king that's not theirs. Especially one that represents a religious icon or a religious idea. But nonetheless that they are in the scripture for all eternity. Asking this question. Pagan. Pagan I would put to you sorcerers. And I'll prove that in a little bit. They said, for we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him, pagan sorcerers. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and the scribes, in other words, the religious teachers, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, so it's written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them at what time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come to worship. 
And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with his mother and fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So let's pray. Father, bless the reading of the word to the hearing of our ear and the receiving of our heart. In Jesus' name. And everyone said? So if I mention to you the Mona Lisa, if I mention to you the scream, if I mention to you the impression, if I mention to you the sunrise, what comes to mind? Famous paintings. Famous paintings come to mind. And, and, and the interesting thing about the Mona Lisa, the storm, the impression, the sunrise, uh, as famous paint, they all have something in common. Every one of them. And, and we can't imagine that that's art like this would have entering anything in common. But they do. As a matter of fact, they have a couple of things in common. They're all tremendously valuable. Why? In my opinion, I have no idea. Some might even call them treasures of art. But the second thing that they have in common is all of the originals were at some point stolen. Every one of them, the originals, were at some point stolen. I don't have time today to walk through the history of all, each and every one of them. But every one of them was stolen. And here you and I are this morning. The last Sunday we come to worship before Christmas, and I, I thought it was powerful. Why not? I want to remind us of what an amazing, precious treasure the first gift of Christmas is. These paintings, the Mona Lisa, the storm, the impression, the sunrise, they are such powerful treasures that they are now, uh, you know, guarded with the greatest technology that man can have in order to make sure that they're not stolen again. They are uh, revered in such a way that they are placed in, in buildings uh, that, that you have to go and, and a lot of times you have to pre-plan to be there to even be able to, to view them in person and those things. They are incredible treasures. And here you and I are on the cusp of Christmas... And this morning I am reminded you that these treasures that are under lock and key, guarded with great technology, were at some point in their history stolen. Here we are celebrating a treasure. And all our planning and all our preparation and all our commitments, and especially now they're all beginning to get to a fevered pitch. Come on. You're thinking about that person you still haven't bought a Christmas present from. And you're calculating the days of whether Amazon can still deliver it. Sure you are. 
And if Amazon can't still deliver it, you're searching feverently where you can go and buy it and pick it up. You know, all the planning, the, the prep, and everything that goes into all these things, right? Here they go. It's the last week, and it's a fevered pitch. And I want us to slow down for a moment this morning and realize that we need to be careful unless the true treasure of Christmas is stolen from us. Because, see, the point of Christmas is that God came to dwell with us and that we could dwell with him forever. And when you think about the enormity of God, the complexity of his creation, when you think about the majesty of the glory of God, and when you think about the effort he put into our salvation, it literally is beyond comprehension. Why would God go through such lengths to restore us to himself? And the answer is found even in our reading today. It's written plainly in 1 John 4, 8. God is love. Come on, say it with me. God is And so here's Christmas nearly upon us. I was at my house yesterday, and I, I was watching as the snow started coming down, and our Christmas tree is in the corner, and there, there, aren't, any, even, there aren't even gifts under there yet. <laughs> and I thought, boy, we better get about this. <laughs> What has my wife been doing? Anyway. <laughs> Back to the sermon. Y'all got distracted. This Christmas, I think it's a great idea, especially with the cast of Christmas so vividly portrayed to us over the last four weeks. Really, it's an incredible thing to think about how we should work to preserve and protect the real treasure and meaning of Christmas. And I think probably the best cast members of this whole scene to portray it to us in such a fashion like this are the ones we call the magi or the wise men. They have a different response than everyone else to the event. It's an incredible thing. King Herod and the religious leaders, they have one approach to the birth of Jesus. But the magi, they approach the birth of Jesus with worship. Hang on, church. Because that's the proper response to what God did that night. The Magi approach worship. They, they approach the birth of Christ with worship because that is the proper response. I mean, hundreds of years, thousands of years of prophecy to realize that God has gone through the great 
lengths to remember that Jesus saved us from our sin, what else can we do? And if we follow the Magi's example, we'll find power and wonder, meaning for Christmas, that won't be stolen from us. I will say to this church, until Jesus takes me home, as long as I get to stand in the pulpit, Christmas is ours. But it's not the world's. It does not belong to them. And I'm not going to debate the semantics to you whether it was how Jesus was born in June or December. Not going to do it. The birth of Christ is ours. There are two holidays that the world celebrates that belong to the church and that without the church the world would have no reason to celebrate them whatsoever. That is Christmas and Easter. They're ours. And if you've even done a casual reading of the Christmas story, the account of the Magi, the wise men, the image in your mind might not line up with what's actually in the Scripture. Despite the, the songs we sing every year, the, the Magi weren't kings. We three kings of Orient. And the Bible doesn't say how many there were. I, I like to think that there were probably more than three. Because three guys can be ignored. Why would Herod have time for three guys who are traveling? But an entourage that kicks up a dust across the whole city as it travels across, it can't be ignored. I'm just... These gentlemen who are, are, are doing this they're more likely astrologers, pagan men who watched the stars to try and tell the future and to try and discover prophecy. Their, their whole life would have been surrounded around reading the stars. The tradition of three men probably comes from three gifts that were given. But I would, I, would, I would bank to say, I can't prove it to you, but I would bank to say there were more than three. They came from the east. Maybe as far as Babylon, which would make sense, Babylon, pagan would make sense. They're following a star. We don't know what the star was. Some suggested it was a conjunction of a Jupiter and, and Saturn lining up in uh, 7 BC um, and, and causing a bright light in the thing. I have this, maybe you have it too. There's an app on your phone that if you go outside at night, you can hold your phone up and it will show you, right, uh, where the which planet is where and those things, especially our view now out there, you can see Saturn and Jupiter and, and Venus. And I mean, you can see the planets and it shows right up on your phone. It's, it's really kind of cool. You can actually be inside your house and point it at the roof and it'll show you which star. Uh, it's, it's crazy. 
My wife's like, what are you doing? We're in the best star. I'm like, I'm trying to find, where is Saturn? It was right there, you know, like. Some, some suggest the star was some kind of supernova that may have, have happened. Others believe that it was just a supernatural event altogether. But the most, most amazing thing about the Magi is that these non-Jewish foreigners with questionable religious practices were gazing at the stars and they were the only ones who responded appropriately to the birth of Christ. I mean, to me, it serves as a reminder. It, it, it serves as something that sobers me up. That someone who is in church and considers myself a follower of Christ, am I like the Magi focusing on my worship and adoration and the gifts I have for the king? Or am I so familiar with the story that my wonder and worship has been lost and stolen? That a song like, Oh Night Divine, we would never imagine would be placed in a church worship service. But it is a worship song. And I mean, I, if you're like me, I, kinda, I expect people who, who are not Christians to maybe miss the meaning of Christmas. But how many times do I do that? I mean, come on. The religious leaders of the day, of Herod's day, they should have known better. They should have known better. And so after this encounter with the wise men, Herod is like, hey, nobody from the religious groups talked to me about this. Call all of those guys who should know in here. I want to have a conversation with them. I want to talk to them. I want, I want to find out what they know, when they knew it, and why they didn't tell me. Call them in here. A king is born, and it's part of some prophecy. And the religious leaders didn't tell me about this. I mean, I sit on the throne. If anybody should be worried, or anybody should know that a new king has showed up, I better be the first one. Bring them in here. So he says, what is this? And they quoted Micah. They pointed to Bethlehem of a prophecy that happened 700 years before. And then you know what? Here's something that's very interesting to me. We never hear another thing about those religious leaders. Not in the, not in the story. You never hear another thing about them. It's interesting that the teachers of the law, the priests, the religious leaders heard that the Messiah was born, that the scriptures had been fulfilled. Those who had dedicated their lives to God and to the scriptures, they don't go investigate, they don't go in search, they just say, oh, he's, he's probably over there. The Pharisees are literally more interested in what they knew about the Messiah than the opportunity they had to go and know, receive, and worship him in person. Yeah. 
they were more puffed up about their knowledge of the Messiah than they were knowing the Messiah. And you know what? Just from this sermon today, just from this last few minutes, you probably know more about the Magi than 80% of the world's population. But don't let that knowledge and your familiarity with the events of Christmas steal the wonder of it. Don't make the mistake that the religious leaders made, putting their knowledge about God above actually knowing God. Jesus didn't say, my sheep, I know my sheep and my sheep know about me. He said, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Let me tell you something. God reveals himself through his word. Y'all say amen. But the whole point to draw close to him in order to know him more is because of his love for us. And God shows up, church, on Christmas so we can know him and have a relationship with him. And we need to be very careful that we don't let our familiarity with the story or our focus or our knowledge steal the treasure from our heart. You see, Herod is a hater. The Bible says he was disturbed. I don't know somebody. He is a paranoid, power-hungry, evil man. Let me tell you why I say that. Because he was so jealous that the two sons that he had would threaten his power on his throne. He killed them. He killed his own two sons. Because he was worried about his own throne. He was so jealous. He was so power hungry. He was so paranoid and true to form. Here he is, worried again. And he pretends that he wants to worship Jesus. But the truth is, he just wants to follow in his footsteps and kill him. My church. You see, Herod's response to Christmas is an extreme example of self-preservation. Oh me, come on, or amen. It's the exact opposite of worship. You see, worship is not about you. Worship is about God. Worship has nothing to do with your needs. It has everything to do with your focus. Worship has nothing to do with convenience. It was incredibly inconvenient to travel from Babylon to Jerusalem. And pagans were so moved by what was happening that they didn't worry about their convenience. They're so moved by what they had seen that it shocked them into we have got to do something. We have got to go see for ourselves. Like the shepherds who were so moved when they saw Jesus with their own eyes. People must know. Think about this.
there's very few of us who would actively fight against worship. I mean, okay, we might complain that the music was too loud or that it worship long, it went way too long. It's, it's amazing how when a football game goes into four overtimes, <laughs> to get to a, to a championship game, Alabama, um, <clears throat> that's an it's an incredible game that you, you watched it once already, but you got it on the DVR. So you go, hello, somebody. Worship team's over at the Sneed's house the other night and, and, and just celebrating whatever. And, 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 and I noticed that, you know, Brian put the Alabama game on and someone said, how many times has he watched this? It's so good. The Colts beat the Patriots. Yes, Jesus, that's a Christmas gift. Very few of us would fight against worship. We might have some different opinions about worship. Maybe one style is better for you than the other, but I would say there's a little Herod inside of most of us that we need to guard against, though. It's that part that takes from the glory of Jesus in this season by putting our traditions above our worship, by putting our timelines above our worship, by putting our schedules above our worship, by putting our convenience above our worship. By holding something back in a self-centered way and putting it above our worship. I need us to grab a hold of this this morning because I'm going to say something here in a minute. I, I want you to embrace it. Whenever we demand that things go our way above what God is doing, we make the same mistake that Herod made on first Christmas. Now, don't get me wrong, church. I love Christmas traditions. Come on. Some Christmas music on and um, you know, watching the kids sing. I was like, how do they know that song? Like, I don't even know that song. What's, is that a Christmas song? What is that song? And they're all singing and, you know, whatever it is you do at Christmas. Right? Like, my, my wife usually makes this uh, apple cider thing with orange and like cloves poked into the orange and you pour it in there, you put a cinnamon stick. What is that called? I don't know, it's made in a crock pot. It's like a hot drink or whatever. Oh, my, oh my aching back is so good. You know what I'm saying? Like, we, we've all got little traditions that I, I'm like, hey, you're going to make that? You're going to make that this year? You, did, did you get some oranges? Some, did you get some cloves? Like, where's the cinnamon stick at, right? Like, you stir it. Where, where is it? What is happening in my life right now? What? We all have those, don't we? Come on. Some of them are amazing. You family got traditions? Come on, each one of us. Maybe some of the traditions that your family have are so strange and unique that you don't even share them with other people. Like, yeah, no, we're not talking about that. Right? But yet it happens, doesn't it? Come on, church. I love Christmas traditions. But I want to I encourage us through what we've been through in the last four weeks, this journey of Advent, is not to be afraid to let God adjust our plans, however he'd like. I want to encourage you to allow God to interrupt your plans. 
I want to encourage you to allow God to interrupt your plans this Christmas. It might just save your life. I'm going to be honest with you because, come on, there are many people who are sitting in this room right now that because in a moment in time when we thought it was over, when it was done, when there was no more use to living, God showed up and adjusted our plans. And here we are alive and well because in a moment in time, instead of going with our plan, we allow God to, come on, come on, church, we allow God to adjust our plans. In a season where the world likes to say it's the most depressing time of the year. Most people struggle. It's a great time of suicide and those things. It's a time to be discouraged. It's a time for dysfunction to overwhelm us and to be sad about the things that we don't have. Comparing ourselves to the things that everybody else has can cause us to go down a line or a road of thinking that isn't of God. I want to encourage you this Christmas because of the cast of Christmas, especially the wise men who come and worship God, who allowed him to adjust their plans and to move their lives even out of inconvenience. Allow God to adjust your plans. It might just save your life. Part of worship is to allow God to have his way when it collides with our preferences and our expectations. Herod's so concerned with keeping control that he missed the greatest blessing in hell in history and he even fought directly against it could we miss it but these men these men however many they were these men i would say to you they're wise not because of their knowledge of astronomical events. Not because of their knowledge of prophecies. They didn't care about gods. They only cared about being the benefactors of a prophecy revealed. And so they studied all prophecies. They studied all religions to figure out which one would bless them the most. They were pagans. They didn't really care about God. They cared about, come on, what would happen I would say they're wise, not because of all of those things. I'd say they're wise because when they saw something, they moved towards it. And I love this event, this this scene. I, I can't tell you the time frame it took them to travel from Babylon to where Jesus was. I, I can tell you it, it, it didn't happen in the same day. And I think it's unique that the Bible calls Jesus, some of your translations might even say toddler. That's a journey. That's a journey. That's a commitment. That's saying, hey, we've got to go worship this thing. Well, that's saying, hey, it, it's going to take us a while to move. Uh, that's why, you know, three guys can make a trip in a pretty good, but a pair, you know what I'm saying, a parade, uh, uh, an entourage, a, a caravan, it's going to take a little while to move that amount of people. It's going to take a little bit to get there. But when they did, the Bible says the moment they saw the child with his mother. They bowed down and worshipped. And they opened their treasures. 
and presented gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And we know nothing else about them. We know nothing else about them. What I do know is that in the light of what God had done, their response is the only one that makes sense. Come on, church. Their response is the only one that makes sense. And, 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 and if you, if you want to guard the meaning and wonder of Christmas, let me suggest that you start with worship. If you want to guard the Mona Lisa, let me suggest you start with someone standing there 24 hours a day. If you want to guard the Mona Lisa, let me suggest that you, you start not only with someone standing there 24 hours a day, but with some technology, some cameras that can maybe watch. If you want to guard against it being stolen, why don't you make it a priority? You see, so much is stolen from our life because we don't make worship a priority. Uh, we, can, we can leave it or take it, amen? I mean, because it's, it's not very convenient today, right? Like, uh, I mean, do, you, do you know how much, do you know how, I'm telling you right now, do you know how much sickness happens on Sunday morning that is instantly healed Sunday evening? Because the same excuse we use by not going to church, we would never walk into the office at work on Monday morning and go, sorry, boss, about your luck. I was tired. (laughs) I mean, Sunday night, maybe we should start having some Sunday night service because that seems to be when miracles happen. Is it? That's not why they do it in the Sunday night in Brazil. They, don't have, they have Sunday school on Sunday morning in Brazil. The main church service is Sunday evening. It's true. Now, they do that because it's hot in Brazil, and they got no air conditioning in that building. I know. I love somebody. And I get it. I get it. I mean, you know, the kids are never more demon-possessed than they are on Sunday morning. They are never that demon-possessed on Monday morning. They aren't because you're just like, hey, they're going to school. You, I don't care how much you are. Listen, your teacher is going to be your deliverer today. Get out of the car. What's your what's your teacher's name, Mrs. Moses? There she goes, right there. She's going to part the sea for you today. Get out of my car. If you want to guard against Christmas being stolen in your life, can I suggest you start with worship? Can I, can I suggest that worship being a priority in your life will fix a lot of issues? Can I suggest that worship being a priority in your life will fix a lot of issues? There is nothing that centers our hearts and minds on what really matters most, like worship. We don't worship God because he needs it. We worship God because we need it. Giving him praise. It reminds us of who he really is. Our worship fuels and feeds our gratitude. Somebody say amen. Amen. That's true. Our worship brings us back to the grandeur and the grace and the greatness of God.
When we worship, we experience a deep connection with God and fall deeply in love with Him. Malin was uh, invited to lead worship at a, at a little Baptist church who, who didn't have any music one evening. Remember this? And um, so she went all by herself, and she's just going to sing and, and lead and worship. She's this young, and she was, so we went on the Sunday evening, and it, it was little Baptist church, but it's full. And my daughter is, is singing. She's just singing. And, and, and these people are so quiet. I thought, are we at church or in the cemetery? What is happening here? And, and I, I get it, right? Like, I'm, I'm just like, and I just stuck my fingers in my mouth, and I just whistled as loud as I could. I just was, and you should have seen Malin's face. She was like, oh, Lord, here he goes. And it stirred the room for a minute. Hello, somebody. It stirred the room for a minute. It stirred us to something that is greater than who we are. It, it, when we worship, we experience a deeper connection with God, and we fall deeper in love with who he is. The religious leaders should have known better. They knew about God, but they didn't seek to know him personally. And there he was. He was there. They even pointed to where he was. They told other, they told pagans. Where, but they didn't go themselves. They told pagans where to go worship, but they didn't go themselves. How ironic that Herod tried to prop up his greatness. His own power could never match the power of God. His own place and position could never compare with the presence of God. And the Magi show us the way to make the most of Christmas is through worship. Oh. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of passages in the scripture that, 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 that encourage us about worship. It's a common theme that runs through the Bible. Giving preference to God, no matter where we're at or what's going on. Laying down what we have before him. And, and there's all kinds of ways to do that. Hello, somebody. And I, I could care less, right? I loved my Baptist brothers. There, there was a reason they invited us to the church. They knew who we were. They weren't offended by that. As a matter of fact, I think in their hearts they were hoping something would be stirred. The Bible says that worship by bowing down. It says by lifting hands. It says by clapping. It says by serving. It says by making sacrifices. It says by singing joyfully, by being thankful, by kneeling, shouting, by, by, by confessing and exalting, by dancing and responding in the Spirit. It's all in the Bible. I don't have a trick one. I promise you it's there. I'm not offended by people's worship. And let me, let me just say this. Some of you may think it's kind of out of order. But I love it when our children get involved in worship. Are they distracting sometimes? Maybe if you're not looking at Jesus. Is there a time to bring some to order to where they're at? Absolutely. Instruction is good. 
But the reason they don't mind grabbing a flag on Sunday morning or raising their hand is not because they instinctively know that that's what they should do. They do that because they watch you do it. And their revelation of Jesus and worship comes from your expression. Is there a time to deal with children? Yes. But I'm just telling you, any church who's upset that children are a part of their services or not a church that intends to grow very far. There should be order. I, come on, somebody say amen. I'm not. There, there's a church in England that we know about, and, and we, every time we go to the UK, we get to preach and spend a lot of time with the leadership at this church, and it's a great church. And they have taken out seats in the back of their sanctuary, and it's tightened up the church. And, and Mike, they, they literally order uh, the, the big white rolls of butcher paper, you know, one side you can write on, the other side you can't write on. And on every Sunday morning, they roll a complete sheet out in the back. It's not torn, it's, it's one roll all the way from back to end. And during worship service, they have pens and crayons and, and things there, and the kids go back there, and they are encouraged by the prophetic team of the church that while worship is having, happening, to draw what they see. And then once a month, they break out these four scrolls. And the prophetic team tells the church what they saw. Uh, if you've never been a part of it, to watch it happen, it's an incredible thing. And you know who did it? The children during worship. They drew what they saw, what God was revealing to them as worship was happening. I, listen, you may think that's weird or not, but... You sit in a meeting when a prophetic team who's tried and true begins to seek God about what is presented to them through worship. It, it, it'll speak to your spirit. The Magi show us the way to make the most out of Christmas through worship. They worship through their gifts and their giving, their offering. Do you know how expensive that offering was. I, I, I dare to say you that the Bible doesn't talk about it, but I, I cannot imagine how much of Joseph and Mary's life was financed for a season through that offering. Frankincense, gold, and myrrh. That, that God resourced the raising of Jesus because of worship. Oh, that's not my notes. Somebody write that down. God resourced the raising of Jesus through worship. Thank you, Holy Ghost, right there. Woo! Mm. Shepherds came and proclaimed the good news. Angels worshiped with a song. Mary worshiped by pondering all the amazing events in her heart. I love, I love how... Christmas of the Chosen ended and, and Mary said, I've just, don't you, I, I pondered these things. I just kept it because I just pondered it. What, and that's what a mom would do. Come on, moms, don't be freaked out. How many of you still got baby teeth? In a book somewhere, 
or, or uh, uh, your, your, your baby got, got uh, yeah, there you go, yeah, your, 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 your child's first haircut, and you took a lock of that and put it, see, I see y'all, see, well, that's what moms do. I can't prove it to you in the scripture that Mary kept the swaddling cloths, but why wouldn't she? Because that's what moms do. And to give it to Mary Magdalene? I can't, it's not in there, but I'm just like, yes. Listen, if we do this Christmas, let's remember what God has done and given to us. And when we do, we'll fight. We, we, he is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our worship. And, and here's some pagans are teaching us that worship fits the occasion. I'm going to bring the worship team back up because I, I just, I'm, man, I don't want us to get lost in that word just a minute ago. That God financed the raising of Jesus through worship. I can't. But I want to encourage this church in this. There is order to everything. Amen? And the scripture lays out the order of everything. The Magi had precious metals and spices. They gave God what they had. What do you have to give Jesus this Christmas? The beauty of worship is that it can be done in all kinds of ways. Song and prayer and gathering and fellowship and celebration. Listen. If you have kids whose eyes are filled with delight on Christmas morning, I hope you take the opportunity to thank God and worship Him for what He's done in your family. As you share meals, the gratitude of His provision. Mm. My wife asked me, she's like, so what are we, we going to cook for Christmas? And I'm like, you know, the biggest T-bone that I have in the freezer? That'll be just fine. Most people have a lot of ham at Christmas, and that's fine. I like ham, too. It's just funny that we would eat pork on a Jewish man's birthday, but that's just me. I just, maybe your brain doesn't think like mine. <laughs> We're celebrating a Jewish man. Let's eat pork. You know, like, I get it. I get it, okay? I, that, don't send me any emails. I know it's all clean. Come on, I get I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> T-bone. Ham. I, you know, I'm the, anyway. Will you stand with me? The Magi worship the king. Hey, church, the Magi worship the king. Not because they were supposed to. Not because it was required of them by their religion. They worshiped the king because it was demanded of them by their heart. Oh, church. Let me encourage this church. We must be a people of worship if we're anything. And I would tell you that the people of God have always been known because of their worship for their God. The, the good 
The goodness of God has always been expressed in the worship of God. And the people of God should be known because of their worship for God. And, and, and as a believer, especially at Christmas, our hearts demand it of us. It demands, demanded by our spirit to worship. These men, require, they came into an encounter with God who became flesh. And they were never the same again. They were never the same again. And all the more for us as Christmas nears, all the more for us as it gets closer, we need to seek to give God and worship a right spot in our life. If you're disappointed, if your life is full of heartache, I encourage you to find a way to identify with Christ during the season. As you raise a praise and come to church. As your head bows to the creator. Your heart is lifted with joy. I want to be like the wise men. And worship him. We got all these little sayings, you know, you know, wise men still seek him and those type of things. But that's great. But re remember why they sought him. To worship him. Where is the king who has been born? We've seen his star. We have come to worship him. They encountered the word become flesh, church. They were never the same. I pray that God meets us and our gifts and we become like these magi. Pray with me. Father, Thank you that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Lord, would you reveal the areas of our lives that reflect the heart of Herod? Protect us, God, from the familiarity that we have with you and the word. The, the familiarity that circumvents what you're doing in our heart, God. Give us heart like the wise men. Men who sought to worship you. And when they found you, unashamed, unhindered, and unapologetically, they worshiped you. Lord, be present in our Christmas as we glorify you with our lives. Thank you for the cast of Christmas. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everyone said. Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You have been so, so good to me. Hallelujah. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me.
mountain you won't climb up coming after me. Oh, I don't know if you believe it. It's Christmas. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down coming after me. No shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't today, God, we receive your love, not because we deserve it, we receive it, God, because it's a gift you give, it's unconditional, it's without strings, and I pray in this room right now, everyone whose life has felt like they're unworthy of your love. God, that you would come and break those barriers, break those chains, break those burdens. They're unworthy of the gift of Christmas, the Christ. God, that you would come and break those burdens. You would help them to receive the ultimate gift of Christmas, just Christ, your love, and the gift of a babe. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise. Turn around and tell your neighbor, worship him. <laughs>